We are Dr. Sarah Bone and Dr. Lisa Tartaglia. We are both actively practicing osteopathic physicians, dual boarded in family medicine and hospice and palliative medicine. You Only Die Once is a virtual place for sharing information about serious illness, the end of life process, hospice and palliative medicine with the patient, the family, and the practitioner. You only die once, and we believe it can and should be a good death. Welcome to the Yodo Channel. Today, in part of our serious illness topic, we're going to discuss liver disease. I'm Dr. Sarah Bone. And I'm Dr. Lisa Tartaglia. And thank you for joining us. The topic we're about to discuss is uh, graphic in nature. So if you have an aversion to blood or vomiting, this may not be a video for you to watch today. Um, so I just wanted to let you know that this video that you're about to watch is graphic. We don't want to frighten anybody, but we do talk about this openly and honestly. And we hope that your environment where you're watching this is non-threatening, but we do want to warn you about what you're about to, to listen to. So when a patient has advanced liver disease, they've probably been seeing a specialist, possibly a hepatologist, gastroenterologist, certainly an internist or family medicine physician, and they've been taking medicines and probably been taking something called lactulose mm -hmm. and probably taking something called spironolactone, but they've been on medicines, they've been being treated, they've probably had some hospitalizations, and their liver disease now has reached a point where they're actually talking transplant. Mm -hmm. And they've been discussing something called the MELD score, which is the model for end-stage liver disease. And we're not going to get into that very much today. Mm -hmm. It has to do with some uh, values, like lab values, creatinine, bilirubin, something called the INR, international normalized mm -hmm. ratio, which is basically your ability to clot, and then your sodium level. Mm -hmm. And so they, they, they gather a bunch of pieces of data, and they tell the specialists... The, the specialists communicate with other specialists about what your risk factors are for this liver disease to determine are you a candidate for transplant. If they're talking transplant, you have reached that point. And that point means your disease is serious and maybe at end stage for your liver disease. Right. And causes of liver disease can be uh, broad. You know, you always hear the term cirrhosis of the liver, but there's a lot of causes that cause end stage liver disease. It could be hepatitis. Um, B and C are the common ones because they've become uh, long standing illnesses if they're not treated. Um, also, alcoholism, if you are an alcoholic um, and your, your liver can get. Um, Damaged over damaged time. over time. Uh, some patients may be it may be caused by medications. I mean, if they've mm -hmm. done certain types of medications, Tylenol is a big one that's always checked when somebody comes in with liver failure acutely in the hospital. Um, but there are other uh, medications that cause uh, liver failure and some genetic diseases. Mm -hmm. Sometimes a a kidney stone in the wrong place. Yeah. We're not really going to discuss malignancy because that's going to be a separate topic, but mm -hmm. certainly, you know, malignancies can affect how the liver functions and can cause damage. And then circulation issues that can right. cause damage. But something that scars the liver or damages those cells so that they don't work well anymore. Exactly. And it's really important to look at the whole picture. Uh, the 
the the hepatologist and the GI doctors do look at the MELT score. We do it when we're pro prognosticating uh, for hospice um, eligibility. However, you also have to look at the whole patient as to whether or not um, to be on a transplant list. Are they still doing illicit drugs or, or actively drinking, these patients will not be considered for um, for transplant. Because if you're going to be given a new liver, they want you to have a lifestyle that's going to take care of that liver. Mm -hmm. They don't want you to damage the new liver. The, if, you, if you contributed to your own illness, they don't want you to contribute to a disease process for the new liver. So they do look at lots of different factors mm -hmm. to determine if an individual is a candidate for a transplant. Now, many times a family member will, um, or a patient will say, but my liver test scores are better. Mm. So um, let me just kind of deep dive into that yeah. a little bit. We look at some tests called ALT or AST, and they used to be named SGPT G and SGOT. So those are liver enzymes. And just for round numbers, we're going to say that a person has 100 liver cells. Now, we know it's many, 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 many mm -hmm. times that. But just for ease of, for my ease, we're going to say that it's 100 cells. Every day, some of those 100 cells are leaking mm -hmm. a little bit of those enzymes into your blood. So when they take a blood sample and they look at those liver enzymes, they know that normally there should be between a certain number of units, you know, like let's just say 20 to 60 is the typical amount mm -hmm. for that. So if an individual is on a medication, it might be more. Mm -hmm. If an individual has a, a liver problem, it might be more. So you know that if somebody has had a really bad liver insult that they did not recover from, some of those hundred cells of their liver are now gone. They're mm -hmm. dead. Now the liver can regenerate, but sometimes they're gone and they're beyond repair and no regeneration occurs. So instead of having a hundred cells, maybe the disease is so severe there's only 40 cells left. And even though those 40 cells are very, very sick, there's just not much of that enzyme to leak into the blood system. So instead of, you know, the person coming in and we've been monitoring their liver tests and their liver tests have been 10 times normal. So normally they're in the 50s and when their liver is really sick, it's 500 mm -hmm. or 800. So it's many times normal. They've got so few cells that even though they're very, very sick, the normal number of that, you know, 20 to 60 value, it's still normal. Mm -hmm. that's not because those 40 cells are working appropriately. That's because he, there's so few cells that that value isn't very high. I don't know if that makes sense or not. Yeah, and what Dr. Bone is saying, like the liver doesn't really regenerate. So after, if there's so much damage to the liver, you're not going to see those acute phase reactants like those liver enzymes populate because the cell volume has gone down. So what we use instead, <clears throat> we use that INR because mm -hmm. the liver contributes proteins to your blood that helps you form a clot. Right. And we've got a way to measure your ability to clot called the INR. Mm -hmm. And it's an international normalized ratio where it's a mathematical calculation mm -hmm. based on certain factors in your blood. And so a normal person has an INR of one. And when we start seeing that number climb, over two, we know that there's an issue. And so if a person has no reason for their blood INR level to be 
over one and they come into the hospital and it's two and a half mm -hmm. or three and a half or four, we know there is a serious problem with that person's liver. Right. And that's why that's included in that in that MELD score. And we, we can look at all of those numbers when we prognosticate to determine eligibility for hospice. And of course, that doesn't mean that you couldn't be put on a transplant list. Right. And while you're waiting, you're receiving mm -hmm. that hospice care. A lot of people think it's either one or the other. And right now, you can have both. Mm -hmm. But if you get accepted for a transplant, then, of course, the hospice comes to an end because you're going to get a transplant. But you could certainly have that extra help during that interim while you're waiting and, and have a better quality of life at home rather than going to the hospital all the time. Sometimes when you have that, that service coming to your house and helping you, you can learn some better health habits to take care of yourself. Right. Oftentimes when we see patients with um, uh, chronic liver disease, there are also we also look at uh, ammonia levels in the blood because that means that the, the liver is a detoxification organ. And when it stops functioning, the ammonia levels will creep up. So the reason why we're looking at that is patients come into the hospital with altered mental status. Mm -hmm. And so when, the, when they are more altered or not, um, a lot of them get real sleepy, um, they're confused. confused, they're not making sense. Might be agitated. Yep, some can be really, really agitated. Sometimes people just blow that off. If, if, if they were uh, end-stage liver disease because of alcoholism, oh, it's withdrawing from the alcohol. But no, it could be fundamental problems. So we look at the ammonia level, and if it's really elevated, that's when we use medications like um, lactulose, um, the uh, spironolactone, dactone, to help try to um, reduce that level. Re reduce the level. We also look at albumin too, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's a protein that mm -hmm. your liver makes. So like Dr. T said, the liver does many things. It detoxifies the blood, it helps metabolize different mm -hmm. medications, and it produces, whether it's clotting factors or albumin or protein. And when these numbers are off on your lab tests, Patients can have symptoms, their, their ammonia level can rise and they can become confused and they might say the patient is encephalopathic, which is like this weird phrase that families hear is like, you know, what do you what mean? What does that, that mean? Yeah, they're <laughs> encephalopathic. So if they're brought in with those acute symptoms, sometimes we can supplement them mm -hmm. and we can get that liver disease better managed. We can't really bring their... Um, albumin level up for a long period of time. We can certainly give somebody albumin. Right. And if it's through an acute process and then the liver is going to begin to, to work again and kind of get revved up and do more of its normal thing, we can tide them over. But we can't supplement albumin. We can't, you know, just give you albumin all the time because your body's going to chew it up. Your body uses that protein every day. Mm -hmm. So the albumin we give a person today may be already gone tomorrow or the next right. day. Because their liver can't make more. Um, it's not keeping up. More. It cannot keep up. So it's really important. So we're supplementing these things. We're giving them medicines to try to help the liver work better. We're giving the body medicines to try to get rid of that ammonia that has mm -hmm. climbed, that has made them encephalopathic. We're giving them medicines to try to help them basically poop out some of those abnormalities right. that maybe they were retaining. 
because the liver is, is cleaning the blood, it's detoxifying the blood, and it's not doing that. Right. And a lot of times people that have cirrhosis of the liver and stage liver disease also have ascites, which is fluid that is built up in the abdomen. And um, we, we, we see that early, even early on in the disease, and it can happen acutely, but you, oftentimes it happens more with chronic illness and worsening when the INR is creeping up and the albumin is uh, lowering because basically the fluid forms because there's not good metabolism of, of um, the fluids in the body, and it, it creates an excess... Of excess fluid, fluid that's collected not in the intestines, but in the space between the intestines in the abdomen. And so their tummy kind of fills up with this fluid. And certainly we can tap that mm -hmm. and do a paracentesis and draw that off, but it's not like it's just water. There's good stuff in there too. Yeah. You take off that fluid, you could take off protein, mm -hmm. albumin, electrolytes. If you remember your principles of diffusion and osmosis, you know that's not just a body of water in there, but it's no. got other stuff that's in equilibrium with the rest of your body. So yeah, we draw that off, but then it's gone from the body completely. Exactly. And it could cause uh, low blood pressure, uh, syncope in patients, um, because the the electrolytes are not in balance because we are taking away this excess so rapidly. It could cause really acute changes and real stabilization of the patient. So we could, you know, make their heart not work right. We could make their kidneys not work right. So just taking that fluid off because it builds up is is not always the best option. Right. And sometimes um, what happens is the the fluid uh, redevelops quicker because mm -hmm. they're so sick. Mm -hmm. um, and when that fluid redevelops quicker, the, it can also get loculated and get a thickness mm -hmm. to it, a viscosity to it. And then it's harder to drain. So you have to look at the whole patient. Um, and, you know, sometimes we'll meet people and they're like, well, they've just been draining this, you know, draining the belly and let's just keep doing it. Well, you can't do that sometimes if the patient because you're going to hasten process of dying. You'll see that patient just keeps getting thinner and thinner because mm -hmm. the body wants that fluid there. It exactly. thinks it's helping itself somehow to put that fluid there. So it actually robs your muscles of protein mm -hmm. to help put that fluid in there. And then sometimes they'll just put this little drain in there, like, oh, is it a Plurex? Plurex, uh -huh. And they'll they'll just let the, the nurses drain that periodically, or they'll teach the patient how to do that. But it's not necessarily the best choice because the body wants that in there and it will do that on its own and it's not a good sign. Right. And you'll start to see temporal wasting in these type of patients, which means uh, right around the um, temporal area, it gets very, very thin. Their face gets real cathartic. They'll lose the, They'll the, lose the muscle here area. and around their eyes, periorbital, temporal, buckle wasting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that, that is really a poor prognostic sign. Mm -hmm. The other thing that we see with liver failure that some people don't think <clears throat> about is because the liver is stiff, so the, the blood can't be forced through it very well by the heart, so they will build up varicosities. Mm -hmm. Varicose veins will appear. Yeah. Where are some of the places you might find a varicose vein? Well, varicose veins appear in the legs. Um, for liver failure, they even de de develop in their belly. Um, Around their navel, mm -hmm. around their rectum, and so you might even get it inside of your body, like around your esophagus. Yep. 
And if it gets around your esophagus and your swallowing tube, sometimes those varicose veins can get large. And sometimes we'll have somebody come in that has advanced liver disease and they've thrown up blood. Mm-hmm. And then they become severely anemic. If they already have heart disease, they may have a heart attack. There is such a, I mean, it's just very, very serious. When they have rupture esophageal varices, um, it is really can be a catastrophic. There are some things that the endoscopist, your gastroenterology physician, that they can do to try to help with those varicose veins in the esophagus. But if an individual has an elevated INR and then they throw up blood, they don't clot very well. And and like Dr. T said, it can be catastrophic. And so when somebody that has liver disease throws up blood, it's usually an emergency and they will often take that individual to the gastroenterology lab to try to do an EGD to do an emergent procedure to help tamponade that blood so that Mm -hmm. the the person doesn't bleed to death. It's not like it's internal bleeding inside of their abdomen. Their esophagus is actually bleeding into their stomach and so as it fills up, they throw that blood up. Yeah. And the tamponading means the clotting off the blood. You know, they do a procedure to try to stop that bleeding. So this this is pretty horrific and pretty graphic, and I apologize for mm-hmm. that if it is uh, frightening to you to hear these things. But th- these are kind of the reality of what can happen with serious illness and liver disease. And if you've not been told these things, it is important for you to realize that so that you can plan ahead. Because some of these things can be treated to a certain point, but they can't be cured because it's just gone too far. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's through no fault of the patient. It's not the physician because the doctor didn't do something or did do something. It's just progression of the disease. And like we said at the beginning, some of these are even genetic things that can cause that damage that it's no fault of the patient. Or maybe it was a toxin that the person was exposed to, but the result is the same. And so you've been following with your internist, you've been following with your gastroenterologist, but now it's reached a certain point in that illness that the prognosis is very poor. Yeah, and I think it's really important if you're a healthcare professional physician that's watching this video, even if it is related to something that the patient did, if they were an illicit drug user that then had hepatitis um, C, or if you um, were an alcoholic, this is a, a hard way to die. Liver disease is not not one of my top five, top diseases I'd like to have to, before I die to be my cause of death. And that being said, and I, I try not to be funny about it, you really need to um, it's talk with your patients earlier on their disease process. Have a palliative medicine physician involved in their care because we can help uh, eliminate some of these symptoms and prepare them for uh, their passing. So I, as a physician, have never wanted to be one to judge a patient how they chose to live their life. I kind of feel like we have what we have, we are where we are, and this is what I can do for you. Mm-hmm. And and so I, I try to practice in a non-judgmental way, and I think Dr. T does also. And we want to just help the patient as best we can and help the family as best we can. And that's why it's important for us to understand where you are as a patient, where your family is as your loved ones so that we can help you, you know, prepare for the kind of life that you want and live the best life that you can every day, that you only face death once and that that day is not today. We want to put that off as long as we possibly can so that you can enjoy the quality of life that that you find satisfying. 
this is a tough topic and we just wanted to summarize and just let you know that this is also a topic that needs to be discussed. Sometimes we have to talk about tough graphic um, ways of passing and a graphic illness. Um, and in summary, when, when our disease progresses, when we're looking at end-stage liver disease, they have recurrent ascites, which is the, the fluid buildup. They're going to have an elevation in their um, INR, which means they are more opt to bleeding. Their albumin, which is their protein level, is going to go down, so you're going to start to see wasting weight loss. Um, they'll have a functional status change. They will get short of breath. They're not going to be able to do their normal uh, things. And the big sign, like Dr. Bones talked about, is your doctors are going to start talking about transplant. Mm -hmm. So this is really serious. Um, it's really important if, if this has ever been discussed with you or your loved ones to really to take time to, to have a goals of care discussion, involve a palliative medicine team to help you, um, and and you may consider following with the palliative medicine team at or and or going on hospice care mm -hmm. to help you uh, support you through your disease process, um, through your illness. Uh, the the interdisciplinary team of a hospice can really help your functional status, your cognitive status, and um, prevent further hospitalizations. Yeah, so you can have a better quality of life for the life you have. Thank you for listening today. You can also find us on YouTube, channel name, You Only Die Once. If you have any specific questions you would like us to address, please feel free to send us an email at youonlydieoncedos at gmail.com. That's you only die once dos at gmail.com. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you again soon.